you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Liz Barrett. Liz is a New York-based stand-up comedian and writer who was born in New Jersey and raised all around the world with her military family. She started comedy over a decade ago when, during a painful period, she was fired and also battling infertility. Family and friends suggested that she take a comedy class. Liz followed their advice, promptly fell in love with stand-up, and the rest is history. I have so many questions. Liz's comedy offers shrewd observations about life and womanhood. You'll remember her one-liners long after you see her. Time Out New York called her comedy a, quote, signature brand of dark, batty stand-up. Liz has appeared on Gotham Comedy Live, which is insanely hard to get on, y'all, if you don't know, Laughs on Fox, Lifetime, Funny or Die, and New York Post videos. Liz is here today to promote her album release, Getting By, which is out via Pinch Records on July 21st. So I'm purposefully leaving out some of Liz's jobs in this bio, so I'm just going to go to Liz directly. What is your favorite part of comedy? What made you pick Deadpan Delivery? Why is your album called Getting By? Tell us. So I picked deadpan delivery, honestly, to become different kind of early on, because um, not a lot of women do deadpan delivery, but it is an extension of myself. Like, I am not um, the most enthusiastic. I mean, I can be enthusiastic, but that is an extension of myself, and I am very succinct in what I say. I'm also an attorney, so the whole thing has, like, led me to, uh, like, not want to use a lot of words. Uh, getting by is my signature you know, when just enough is good enough because everybody's trying to be perfect these days and I have given up on that. Uh, so that is my uh, album is called Getting By. And uh, what was your other question? How do I get into stand-up or why do I want, how do, why do I like stand-up? Yeah, what's your favorite part of com- of, of doing it in general? Well, it ta- it's like an actor, I feel like. Like the moments that you're actually on stage connecting with the audience, there's a lot of build up to that and a lot of work to that. So that's my favorite. And like recording this album was super fun. Um, and I still like to write a really good joke. Um, really, that that brings me joy. <laughs> What's your process for writing a joke? I don't think people recognize how complicated it can be. It's very complicated. I mean, I am not as, um, you know, some comedians are really like they sit down for 20 minutes a day and write or half an hour or an hour or whatever. I, I'm not as good about that as I should be. And I know I should be better. A lot of it. I write on the subway a lot, to be honest. I, um, I just keep writing. And then sometimes I grab an old something in the, in the past and I bring it back, back together. Um, so I try to keep my jokes three, uh, lines. I learned that early on. Um, so that was a really good hint, um, to keep your, your jokes, three lines. That doesn't mean you can't tell a story, but like every three lines, you should have a joke basically. But now I'm sort of working. I want to work more into having a a bigger chunk of, of jokes to about one thing. So, so keep trying to tweak that. I used to be much more like, one-liner, 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 which is really hard. <laughs> you know, it's like 10 minutes and there's like a hundred jokes. So I have changed a little bit over that a little over time. I think that people underestimate or d- maybe don't realize how complicated that actually is because I think the moth kind of muddied the waters as far as what we consider what comedy is. And you can do storytelling and storytelling is important, but if you pay attention to the storytellers, they're still working jokes in whilst they tell the story. So I know that in the comedy community, it's it's filled with snobs and all kinds of rules that nobody agrees to. So because there's a lot of attitude about taking a comedy class and like, oh, that's terrible. And it's like Taylor Tomlinson started in a comedy class. But OK, yes, yeah. comedy class is terrible. What was it that how did you get over people's judgment of that? And because you're public about it, a lot of comics won't say if they've taken a class. They, they won't say. I mean, I was older, too. I, I mean, I think if you're like 21 or 22 and, you know, I was lucky enough to have the money to do it. I know that's a big thing for people. So I get that. But I think it does cut some doesn't cut the work, but makes it so you have some people that you start with. And most of the people, honestly, in the class are no longer doing comedy. I'm probably one of the only one or two. 
But, um, you know, I just think it helps you if you can. It's just another tool. I mean, I don't think you need to necessarily do it. And if you can be 20 years old, like going to 10 mics a night, that's great. And I've, I've had that time where I've been doing all mics and things like that, but it just helps you just a little bit more, I feel like. Oh, I think it just gives you just a slight leg up in an already wildly competitive market. Like, why not give yourself an advantage? I mean, some people go to Harvard. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like they all go to Harvard and, and are part of the, the Hasty. You know, come on now. There's all sorts of ways. And it's just another way to, um, I think, help. If you, if you can do it, if you can do it. Yeah. And do you find that your skills from, you mentioned that you're a lawyer. So do you find your skills from practicing law transfer or that they're like transferable skills in between law and comedy? Yes. I, I mean, I've known a lot of um, great comedians who are lawyers, actually. Um, they may not pursue it, but I find lawyer actually ad um, people are really good, too. But I find that ad people are kind of like, wait, I'm doing this for free a lot and I could be paid to write these commercials. So I'm just going to go back. But they usually are really good uh, comedians. But then lawyers are, too. Because I think we have to get to the point and we have to figure out, like, my whole job is to figure out people, um, read them very quickly, figure out their credibility, basically. And, you know, sometimes it's bad because now I'm like, "Mm -hmm, I got you in two seconds, which isn't so great. But um, I think it does. And, And writing and, you know, and some lawyers are terrible writers, terrible. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good writer. I think it does help me actually and do you, all I do is write everything yeah do you practice what kind of law do you practice that like is it criminal defense or do you do some no no I um I mean I guess a lot of comedians won't even talk about it but until you know comedy starts paying a lot more I have a part-time job I work for New York City as a hearing officer so I have hearings that I do part-time um that's my day job And then I used to work for the state, for the insurance department. That was not a very glamorous job. And then I used to work for um, people who were suing doctors, basically, medical malpractice. Okay. So um, that was my history. But right now I'm doing, uh, during the day, not all the time I do hearings, which I guess I'm not supposed to say in the comedy world either, but... I don't care anymore. (laughs) I'm so over how precious everyone gets with like these manufactured rules. It's like nobody gets out of life alive. Like, can we just all cool it on that? Whatever works is what works. Like it's, it's wild to me, the snobbery and the like, Oh, you can't go to that mic, but you can go to that one. But if you go to that mic, understand these. And it's just like, can I just do a quick five and get off stage and walk away? Like it's wild to me, yeah. these like fake hoops that we've created when it's already a hard enough industry. Like, yeah, it's uh, already hard enough. And you know, it, it, then you get around people and then you find out like people who are like touring are still doing their day job too. So, you know, yeah, it happens. It sure does. A lot. Like people just don't talk about it. They don't. Why do you think that you're one of only two people from your class still pursuing it? Were those people who wanted just sort of to just try it or were they people who had big dreams and they were like, oh, this ain't it for me? It was kind of a mix, to be honest. Some people had already been doing it out in L.A. They were just they were good, um, already good. I mean, it's a hard row, I think, especially like if you're young and then you meet someone who's not so into you doing it. I think that breaks off a few people. Um, I think for women, it's especially hard to think like, yeah, I'm going to pursue this. And so, yeah, I think it's just hard to keep going. And if your circumstance doesn't really allow it, I think sometimes it's just hard to keep keep doing it. Have you experienced, just to get real lighthearted, have you experienced any of the bullshit that just, just for being in a female body that happens to a lot of female comics? Like, have you run across like you know, very blatant misogyny or sexism or harassment or any of that fun stuff? Um, I mean, in some ways, I feel like because I'm older and married, I, I haven't had some of the stuff that the younger comedians have had. However, on the other hand, I am older and married and like not hanging like it. I think it's a double edged sword. I think either way it would have been difficult, but I have. 
And he, my husband is a political consultant. He, he runs political campaigns. So he's in a horrible business. And he's like, I, I've never seen women treated worse than in your business. <laughs> so that's how bad it is. Like when the guy is like in politics and he's like, yeah, we don't even treat women like this. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, I feel like <laughs> that's kind of a sign. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you do feel it. You do feel it. I mean, you know, and it just goes back to like, you know, there's one woman on a lineup. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's exhausting. And it kind of seems to, you know, I've been in it so long, you kind of see it getting better. And then people are like, mm, no. And then <laughs> like we seem to be going back a little bit in my humble opinion, but who knows, you know. Yeah. Nobody cares unless you haven't got the TikTok numbers. I mean, really. Uh, makes me want to put my head into an oven. Ugh, I can't yeah. deal. Um, okay, so so you've been doing comedy for a little while. And uh, mm-hmm. so what is it that, so this album is coming out. Are you about to go on tour to promote it? Or what is your, what are the plans for getting the album out there? Just uh, basically, you know, as much as I can tour. I mean, I'm not a full-fledged touring comedian at this point, but to hope to be. Uh, this is sort of an, a, an introduction. Um, a lot of it also is to get on Sirius, uh, to, honestly, to market it to Sirius, to get on that, to get plays. So this is sort of an amuse-bouche to my comedy, and then we'll see where it goes from there. <laughs> I get that. Listen, you got to do what you got to do. I get it. You got to do what you got to do, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, um, and do you have a favorite track off of this upcoming album? Oh, gosh. I, I enjoy Fat Doctor. It's how I found a fat doctor. I like, uh, I won't give all the reasons why everyone should find a fat doctor, but I think that's, <laughs> okay. that's good. If, you, if you're married, it'll be a good album for you if you're just a person who's tired of having to serve hummus at parties. It's, it's a pretty controversial album. I mean, I know some people go hardcore into like mental health or, you know, I'm going into hummus. So <laughs> if you just want a half hour where you just laugh, you don't have to, you know, just laugh. It's fine. It's all, it's silliness. It's really silliness. I'm not going into like my rehab or anything like that. <laughs> okay. It's, you know, so yeah. it's, it's hot. It's hot. Netflix is calling, you know what I mean? <laughs> whatever we need comedy is is such catharsis that we sometimes we need to not do important comedy all the time we can go ahead and just like make jokes about hummus like that that's acceptable exactly it's like you know my parents were not uh raised in by wolves you know i don't yeah i don't don't have any big story like that to tell you yeah can't talk about trauma you don't have and so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to wrap up our appetizers portion, so um, you were raised in a military family. So did that inform, do you do you call on any of that when you're going sort of city to city? Because I feel like you'd be, what a gift for comedy that you can kind of adapt to any room you're in. At least that's been my experience with people raised, kids raised in the military. It's like you kind of got to learn how to make friends in different parts of the entire world. So you just sort of adapt. Has that informed any of your comedy? I think it does. I mean, I think it just, um, you know, affects my whole being, like being, you know, I'm very comfortable meeting different people, being in different circumstances, which I really think helps. So it does. I mean, it does make you kind of like, I'm pretty shy and pretty um, reserved, actually. But then, you know, you're forced into situations. I moved like every two years for a long time when I was a kid. So you just kind of like learn how to go on to the next thing, which is good and bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. That whole attachment thing. That can Sometimes be tough. Bad, but, yeah. You know. <laughs> okay, great. And what is your, do you, are you willing to stay to say like a favorite club of yours in New York or do you not want to excl- declare an allegiance? Well, New York comedy club has really helped me over the years. Uh, and pinch rec- records who I'm recording with are, are uh, is a company with uh, New York Comedy Club, and they're really the ones who have supported me over the years. Caroline's did when they were around, but really, um, New York Comedy Club is, you know, if I had to call it a home uh, place, and I hope they would consider that too. That's great. Okay. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. Okay, we are back and now it's time for the entrees. Okay, so 
I know that you uh, you get the sort of format. And um, before we started recording, folks, Liz was like, I don't know, I haven't really done that many customer service jobs. That is a very common refrain from a lot of guests. And then we mine a little bit deeper. And then they're like, oh, crap, I forgot I did fill in the blank. So okay, what is your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your money? I think my first, t- first was when I was in Virginia in high school and I worked at Captain D's which is a off-brand Long John Silvers. I don't know if you know it. Oh, I know a lot. My town has a Long John Silvers, and I know what Captain D's is. But for people not on the East Coast, um, can you please elaborate as to why that's specifically specific? (laughs) It's, It's Long John Silvers. They did fried food. And I worked there for a couple of months. They thought I was amazing because I could do it all. I could do the front and the drive-through and you know sometimes you have to clean the bathrooms and then make the banana cream pie like you do and uh yeah i was like "Mm." and the construct it was a i always found it so weird because it was so hot in virginia in the summer and these construction guys would come in and then for lunch have like all this fried food and 27 gallons of iced tea and then all this dessert. And I'm like, you're going to go back out in the heat and like do construction. It was very odd to me. I do remember in that job too, the guy who was the manager had been married like two times. He was like probably in his thirties and I, he had the eye on me for being his third wife, but I was like, I'm, I'm out of that situation. But, um, <laughs> I'm not interested. That was Captain D. That was Captain D. That was my first real job of like governments involved. I would like to also involved. add a detail that we have both left out. It's not just fried food. It's fried seafood. So it's like oh, yes, shrimp yes. and fish and yeah, it's real specific. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's fried fish. It's fried clams. Mm-hmm. It's fried. Yeah. 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 I think I just saw like a couple of years ago, we were traveling down south and I saw one and I was like, wow. Still, mm-hmm. still hanging on. It's so funny because in the t- I'm from a town of 6,000 people in Ohio and we have almost no like stuff in my town. And one of the things that has been around for a hundred years is a singular Long John Silver's standing in the middle of like this parking, this just cement parking lot. And it's like, there is always a line there. I God bless, like no judgment. I mean, eat the food you want to eat. But to your point, these gentlemen are scarfing down fried seafood and then going back. And like, I can think of nothing worse other than I don't, I literally can think of nothing worse right now that I would eat and then go back out into the heat and not be projectile vomiting everywhere. I don't understand how they did that. I never understood it because it was so hot too. It wasn't like it was like, Maine where it was chilly, you know, I I mean, even for non-health purposes, it's like we, we, I upstate, there's like this small town and all they have is like a pizza hut. Like who's going to pizza hut anymore? I mean, I get even delivering pizza hut, which I would, you know, whatever, but like who's going to pizza. And I remember going to pizza hut as, you know, a kid. Oh, that that was yeah, that was gourmet food for us. Cause there used to be a pizza hut, uh, like buffet and you could get an all you can eat salad, and um, a lot of personal pan pizzas, and we took advantage yeah. of that as children. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But now it's like, and those red cups, you know. Oh yeah, that would say Coca Cola on one side and Pizza yeah, Hut yeah, on the other. Cups. Yeah. But oh. So that was my first uh, real job, okay. and then I like I worked for the state and worked for the forest ranger with the check in with the the campers. Oh, was that yeah. interesting? I bet you saw a lot of weird shit. I saw a lot of weird shit and like looking back and now because I watch a lot of murder shows, you think, oh, I really could have been killed like at certain point. And there were a lot of really nice forest rangers, but they would like be going around the whole campsite and they call in and I'm just there alone. Like I could have been mass, you know, really murdered. I wasn't. So that was good. (laughs) So you're still here. Our, <laughs> shout out to not getting murdered. That's great. Yeah. And I like that that job better service wise because it was sort of like it was just a little shop. Like somebody somebody wanted M&Ms or something like that, but it wasn't, you know, intensive service of like you know, do you want another coke? It was like yeah. here 
Here's your 75 cent M&Ms. So for our international listeners and or people who have not been to any sort of national park, can you explain, because it's essentially like a little mini mart, but you can also, don't you also sell tickets to actually get into the park from that same spot? Am I thinking of the right thing? Yeah, it's sort of like hotel check-in for your campsite. And then they also provide like, you can get a soda, you can get M&Ms, you can get you know, it's just the check-in area for the campsite, basically. Did you ever check anybody in that you were like, that person is scary as hell? It wasn't too bad, really. I'm not sure how busy, in retrospect, how busy a campsite it ever actually was, <laughs> which was good. But uh, nobody too terrible. No, There were no real big incidences, which in retrospect was very good because, you know, yeah. it, I could have died. But it was. But at the time, you don't even think about it. I'm surprised my mother didn't say anything. How old? Yeah. How, I worked till like eleven o'clock at night, but I don't know. Oh my gosh! How old yeah, were yeah, you yeah. when you were doing that? Probably like seventeen. You were a baby. Going away to college. Yeah. But I the forest rangers were all cute and like I don't know. Mm. I liked I liked the job. I like just having my own scene where you know. Yeah. I'll help you, but. It's not like groups and teams and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you mentioned being shy. So I imagine that, you know, if you were getting accosted by groups of people all the time, that would be overwhelming for your senses. Like it could be too much. Yes, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yes, yes. Okay. How many customer service jobs have you had total? I mean, I worked for a long time in nonprofits doing like communications and PR. So I don't feel like that was really customer service. I do feel all my law work has been customer service. So that was like, you know, let's say five jobs, customer service when I was a kid seven. I worked at the library. That was customer service. Yes, it is. Oh, and I worked for somebody's like a Senate. You know how a senator or assembly member has like a staff that deals with like constituents. I did that for a while. So I've had jobs here and there and everywhere that were customer service. Okay. Um, and doing hearings is customer service, basically. Yeah, I have to. The, the hearing officer, the judge. Yeah, I'm going to pull yeah. at that thread in just a moment because I have so many questions. <laughs> you uh, you worked in nonprofit for a while. You, uh, at the library, what was your job? Well, I had the very important job in college because I worked study of checking your bag to see if you were taking anything out. No, you, you had to be a narc. That's like being a hall monitor in middle school. That's the worst. Yeah, I mean, I never really found anyone or I wasn't checking well enough. I don't know. I never found anyone was really doing anything. How would you, I mean, how was I supposed to know? It looked good. Looked fine to me. I don't know. Yeah. Also, why are you giving a student that job? It's like, we're, I'm going to check the bag of the boy that I think is cute from sociology. If he has a book that he didn't check out, BFD, see ya. Why were they scared of book theft? I just don't know. Were there a lot of people stealing books? I just, yeah. I never heard that as a thing. Yeah, it wasn't a scourge. Like heard, yeah, I've never heard, I mean, I've heard, you know, friends later in life say, oh, yeah, I used to shoplift all my makeup, you know, in high school. Okay, yeah, but no college student is like, I'm going to steal this book because, you know, like, I don't know. It's. I guess I was supposed to check if, like, somebody brought in, like, a giant banquet of food or something like that. Oh, but, yeah. I guess I, I get mean, that. So that was customer service, but that was fine. Oh, and I checked books out. I like that job. That was very calming because nobody's hyped up at the library. Yeah, not or they shouldn't be. <laughs> they shouldn't be. Yeah. That's not really your place is the library. Did you guys ever catch anybody having sex in the book stacks? No, no, what? I didn't have to go around checking. So who knows what was going I mean, I probably wasn't as diligent as I should have been at the job. <laughs> <laughs> Looks good to me. Yeah. Like, you know, Check. what am I going to do? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I also had another job when I needed, I was working for nonprofit, so I needed a side job. Mm. So I worked at like a cafe, bookstore, you know, those people that have those dreams of I'm going to start a cafe bookstore and they don't realize it's going to be your whole life. But mm. I like that job too, because there weren't a lot of customers. I like to work places where there's not a lot of customers. <laughs> you know, Seems like it. Businesses I like, a <laughs> like I can handle that. But, um, you know, people would come in and have like a cappuccino. That's where I learned how to make a cappuccino and, you know, sit and read 
you know, it was nice. It was, it was like a glorified library with cappuccino. And that's kind yeah. of the best. Yeah, it's funny yeah, when it's you say fun. like opening a cafe bookstore would own your life. That's why I think Notting Hill is one of the least accurate representations of what that would look like. Because that dude, Hugh Grant, is never there. And they are they have a customer and it happens to be a celebrity. Like that is the most unrealistic writing of all time. <laughs> Oh unrealistic this the guy was lovely who i worked for but he was at it all i think maybe they had a restaurant downstairs like of like hummus and baba ganoush and then but i mean it wasn't gonna work and he was like i'm i'm here all the time i go mm, yeah huh yeah you no. are <laughs> maybe you not want to start your own restaurant or anything like that you're like this is terrible that's when your yeah. hatred of hummus began was there yeah um yeah yeah Okay. But then I worked for a lot of like nonprofits and I did a lot of organizing. So it's not really customer service, but you do have to deal with a lot of people. Like for one organization, I, you know, depending, I would work on different bills. And then what you do is you do a coalition of different people, or if it's like, you know, product liability, like some product is hurting thing, then you want to pass a bill to help so people can sue, you get all the people who were hurt by that product. So you organize them, they do a press conference for you or that sort of thing. So that was my organizing. So in some ways it's customer service, not quite, but kind of, yeah. sort of. You gotta deal with people. I mean, for sure. And also like you're dealing with people at the height of an emotional experience. I would imagine you're not organizing people who are excited about M&Ms. I think you're, wouldn't you be organizing people who like you said were hurt by a product. So they were probably like upset, I would assume. Yeah. Or, I mean, campaign finance reform. I mean, sometimes it's not, you know, just whatever, but it's like, or voter registration drives or that type of thing to get people voting. So you're dealing with the public and, and sort of canvassing. I did canvassing door to door canvassing. That was hell. Oh my God. I can't imagine that's customer service for sure. Cause you have to go. I almost forgot about that one. I was terrible at it. (laughs) Horrific. at Why? Uh, I just, I just couldn't, I do think there's a philosophy, like if you were raised with money, it's easier for you to ask for money. And when you're not raised with money, which I wasn't, it's very hard to ask for money. Wow. And I was terrible at it. I was shy. Like you're knocking on people's front doors. It's terrible. And some people are really good at it. But then I became the manager of the office because I was good at managing, but I wasn't good at raising money. (laughs) So I would be like, training people and I'd be like, yeah, you know, it'll work really well for you. I mean, <laughs> you're going to crush this. <laughs> why, why am I training you? I can't raise a dollar, but I could train <laughs> them and how to do it. I just could not do it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have an experience where you were just like, you had knocked on like 15 doors. It hadn't worked out and you just wanted to go like cry in your car. Oh my God. It was terrible. It was awful. The, the canvassing was dreadful. Yeah, because you you don't make any money, or at least back then where I worked, like you didn't make any money. You, all your money was based on what you were making. So I, I got in better shape when I was managing because at least that was like sort of a salary. But this was, uh, you'd make nothing. You'd work all day and make nothing. Because um, would you only make money if you actually signed people up? Was it commission-based in that way? Commission-based. Oh, woof. Oh, that's the worst. So, and then, you know, there's turf, there's, you know, when you do door, I don't know if you've ever had anyone on who did door to door, Never. but door to door is like, you know, there's a saying, there's no bad turf, which is turf is where you cut like different street blocks and that's your, where you go for the day. So the saying is, oh, there's no bad turf. And it's like, yeah, there's bad turf. Like yeah. I've been in Horseheads, New York. That's bad turf. Like every house is the same. Every like flag is the same. Like they did not want some like young you know, group being like, don't you want to help voters register? And, you know, what about like, you know, the environment? Like no one cared in Horseheads. Like it was bad turf. It was bad turf. Bad turf. Is Horseheads like a super rich part of New York? I've never even heard of it. No, no, no. Horseheads is up by Syracuse. Oh, you know, upstate New York. I know Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's up by, yeah. And it's like not, it's, poor. it's really, a, yeah. yeah. No offense, Horseheads, you know, but on my album. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we, you know, it's funny. We have a strong audience in Horseheads, New York. So like you've now offended the, the tens of listeners we have up there. <laughs> From the 70 year old people. Bless in Horseheads. Them. Bless they were them. 70 when I was like 20. So they're dead too. But, 
But uh, yeah, horse heads, not not your yeah, favorite. So that's a saying in door to door campusing. There's no bad turf, and it's like, yeah, there there, there is, is bad turf. Yeah, and there you is. and you experienced. Like you it. go to Ithaca, you know Ithaca, New York. Yeah, that's good turf. Like everyone's uh, liberal and everyone wants to help. This is where I would just shit my pants every day at work of the, I never feel like I'm allowed to belong anywhere in life. It's just so fun to be a woman. And so I feel like going up to private property, knocking, possibly interrupting whatever bullshit you're doing. Cause I'm sure you're not knocking at noon. You have to be there when people are going to be home. And so like yes. you're interrupting a dinner and then you're like, hi, I need things like, oh, that is that makes my butt pucker. Like I couldn't do that today. But it's amazing. Some people are good at it. And there is a correlation. People who raise with money are comfortable talking about money it's much wild. more so than a person who isn't. Because to me, if you came up to me and said, I need seventy five dollars, you know, when I was twenty four years old, I would be like, you know, now I could process it and be like, okay, something, you know, depending on what's the situation, blah, blah, blah. I mean, 70, I mean, come on now. I grew up with nothing. You're yeah. asking me for $75. Like, That's food for the week. Like, you're like, no. Yeah, exactly. I can't, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, and that, I mean, not even that, but like, you know, some people were good about getting like hundreds of dollars out of people. I mean, can you imagine going, someone at your door, you're going to give hundreds of dollars to? I'm I mean, just not. Nuts. I don't even, I'm just yeah, like if someone strange is near my door, I'm like, everybody hide, get into the bunker. Yeah. Like they could have innocent intentions. I don't care. You're not getting money yeah, from me. I, I don't care. And I mean, but it does work. Clearly, or they wouldn't keep doing it. It's very unclear how it works. And, you know, now my husband is involved with the campaigns where like, it's all about, at least with that, you're, you're knocking, he may, he doesn't do it, but like he has people knock on doors about the candidate or an issue, which is different. Yeah. And even then I think it's like, it makes my heart palpitate thinking, but it's not like asking for money. God in heaven. No, thanks. No, thanks. I can think there've, there've been very few jobs that have been described since I've been doing the show where I was like, you, you could put a gun to my head and I wouldn't do it. That's one of them. Yeah. I hadn't, I had always forgotten about that, but yeah, I, yeah, it was all based on, I'd have no money. Like it was just terrible. It was terrible. For your shy self, what drew you to even apply for that job? Was there some, did a friend have it and say like, Oh, Liz, come do this with me. Well, in college, um, I don't know if you know the PERGs, the Public Interest Research Group. They're all, well, they were all across the country, every state. And then there was a U.S. PERG. It was a public interest research group, which was started by um, sort of the brainchild of Ralph Nader, which I don't think anyone listening to your podcast probably knows who he is. He was a consumer advocate who led the fight for like the lemon law for cars and um, all sorts of consumer things, seat belts, the speed limit. Uh, he wow. did run for president later and there was a whole thing because he kind of ruined it for Gore, but that's not the point. So anyway, <laughs> on college campuses, they had a perg where you were trained to be um, activists. Actually, Barack Obama was in night perg a long time ago as a student. So I was a student at, at Binghamton and I got an internship with Knight Perg and did PR and things like that. And then I went to go work for them and went to a, a college campus to be their project coordinator, which was basically you training the students in all these issues um, and organizing them. And in the summers, the job was door to door canvassing to raise money for the organization. So I didn't really want to do the job and it wasn't required I do that job, but it was sort of like, okay, so go. Ooh. And that's how I, I mean, I would never on my own have applied for that job unless no way. it was part of the whole system of that. That's why you picked that's that? That's how I got it. Got it. Okay. And, um, okay. Yeah. So we, we kind of rounded out with like, we're going to say, let's see, I'm adding up all the jobs. I mean, maybe like 10. I that's say. what I was going to say. Yeah. That's what it feels yeah. like. So of those 10, like I consider, to be honest, and I've said this so many times on the show, like I consider stand-up comedy a version of customer service because you are beholden to the audience's reactions. So, you know, not that one bad room makes you change your set, but 10 bad rooms will. So minus comedy, because we know that's your favorite thing. What is your, what was your favorite of those 10 that we've listed? I mean, I don't, I like being a hearing officer, you know, I'm glad, you know, it's, it, it's good. It's part time for me because of, you know, comedy. Uh, basically, I don't have to 
it's it's an early morning job. But I don't mind it because, you know, you do hear a lot of different, sometimes it can be very boring. It's just sort of administrative. But then sometimes people really do get on there and just tell a tale. And you're like, hmm, okay. You know, it's bad if I say, oh, okay, well, um, let's back up a little bit. I'm a little confused. That's my phrase. <laughs> My husband also says, because we've been working at home and I've been doing hearings at home, he's always like, yeah, I always hear you go, sir, you're not listening to me. You really need to listen to me. That's one of my key phrases. So um, I don't really mind it. I, I mean, it is, you know, it's not customer service in the traditional sense of how you think about it, but it is, uh, you know, these are these are customers who like, I try to be as respectful and in. I don't want anyone to ever feel like they don't have all the information or or I'm not trying to be respectful because these are not murderers I'm dealing with. This is, you know, this is like building cases. This is New York City stuff. No one's a rapist or murderer that I'm seeing. So that's what I want to, if I am involving myself with a hearing officer, what have I done? What does that look like? And what is my, like, am I repped by a lawyer or like, what is the, what even is the job? Well, I work for the city and there's a lot of departments in the city that give out tickets. There's buildings for building violations or taxis have a lot of rules that they um, have to abide by. Um, there's even quality of life cases. And I'm the hearing officer and you come before me. You may or may not have an attorney. That's your right either way. And it's it's loose. It's not to get too technical, but evidentiary wise, like it's like. I take in most evidence. I may not, may not have any, you know, relevance or have any, I mean, you can't submit nonsense, but like, <laughs> it's not as, you know, when you've seen court where they have to establish different things that that doesn't happen so much in my court. It's a little bit more, um, loosey goosey is not the right term, but you know, the technical, loosey-goosey. yeah, they're very technical. <laughs> Very technical, loosey-goosey. Yeah. So that's what you would have, and then you usually have an attorney who's representing the city. Um, but again, these are not... Uh, I mean, I, my big goal is to become like Judge Judy. I really yeah. think I could do it. I mean, Steve Harvey now is that judge. I, I kind of adore Steve Harvey. Do you? I really do. <laughs> I really do. I kind of do. And I bet at stand-up, the people are on the floor. I bet he I believe you. Crushes. crushes. Yeah. Crushes. Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Like his show where I'm, he's a judge, I'm like... I could do that. Uh, I know, I could do that. <laughs> I really would like to do that. I think it would be... You know, the, when I was trained to be this hearing officer, they were like, there's no comedy. They didn't even know what I did, but they were saying in general, there's like, there's no comedy in, you know, hearings. And I'm like... But is there... a little... There's, yeah. Why, yeah, there's gotta be. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be. There's got to we be. We gotta break the bit. tension. Yeah. You know, t- hearings yes. are tense and long yeah. and boring and like gotta spice yeah. it up. Yeah. I get I that. mean, you know, some of the a lot of the people I deal with are not from this country, so you know, humor oh. but like if I have a lawyer on the line, I can crack a joke or something. Yeah. You know, like you can yeah. try out a tight five. Oh. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, exactly. But now, if, you know, if it's someone in giant Mandarin, I'm not going to, like, lay down a joke that just wouldn't work. It yeah. just wouldn't work. Yeah, cross-cultural. We, we learned that in the rooms. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I read in your bio that you mentioned, and you've mentioned it now, that, like, taxi drivers, there's a lot of hoops that they have to jump through. Uh, shout out to former guest Nick Nunez, who was on the on the show. He was, he, he got certified as a licensed cab driver in New York City, but he was doing uber in his own car and he got a couple tickets for various things go back and audience go listen to that episode again but because you're a hearing officer would you see so if i'm a taxi cab driver and i didn't i I can't even think like i i don't know i i guess i didn't have the proper medallion or something would i see you or would you only see a taxi driver who sped or who like what is the how what do you see It's everything. Everything. I, okay. I, I don't hear the hearing. Sometimes somebody has had their license revoked and they're applying to re to get it after a few years. I don't hear those hearings. But besides that, I do like uh, hear. And a, a lot of it also is unlicensed activity. People who are not licensed by the TLC who are doing that. 
So that's a lot of what I hear. But the other stuff, and I hear from like medallion companies. I mean, there's a lot of rules people have to follow. Like I've had comedians say to me, yeah, I'm just going to become like an Uber driver. And I'm thinking, you know, we know comedians. They're not the most consistent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it's not such an easy, like, I always warn people because people, I think, don't do it maliciously, but they go in and they don't realize like, Mm, it's it's a you, you you know like for instance taxi cabs have to be inspected every three months but anyway it's not the usual one year so people come in they go I don't know and it's like well I mean yeah 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 so there's a lot of like very technical little things that you would have to keep like a calendar and know and whatever so I always tell people like be just be conscious it's not like i'm gonna get my car and just put on my uber app and there you go i think in some places in the country you can do that but not here not here not new york city well and also aren't the because i know there's like generational hand downs of like once you get the whatever that specific medallion medallion, like once you get that you can hand that because it's like 150,000 us dollars or something that I don't know. I think maybe people can inherit it. Yeah. You know, like if you own it, you can inherit it. But that doesn't mean you can drive. The driving is separate from the license of the vehicle. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's so much I don't know in that world that is just like, it's why you can see why Uber and Lyft were so devastating to the cab drivers who were like, this was my way into, you know, even citizenship. Like I had a job that could I could work all the time, but I could work. Yeah. And you can see why that would decimate that. So you're seeing cab drivers who is that the most like for the people who don't speak English that are at a hearing? Is it mostly people that work in in that type of customer service of like cab driving? Or is it other stuff? Yeah, basically cab drivers. What's the weirdest excuse you've heard on a hearing for someone like not following a rule? Most of the time, it's not too, too weird. It's a lot of people just think saying they don't know the law is like a defense, which usually it isn't. I mean, for anything. I mean, that's not just with this court, but with anything like that's often a defense, which, you know, it's not that you don't believe the person, but it's not a defense. Like you have, you know, in the law, there's a presumption that you need to know what the laws are. Isn't there a phrase in law school that's like ignorance of the law does not, there's some fucking phrase you guys ignorance have to of the law is not yeah what's that phrase i can't I remember what it is but, yeah, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not a yeah we 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 learn that if you have anyone that's I ever mean, gone to law school you know tell the truth and keep it simple so easy. the more you add on it's just you know people mm-hmm. got a lot more questions just mm-hmm. keep adding on adding on you got a lot of questions after that you know <laughs> I got out of a ticket in when I was in uh, Miami, shout out to spring break when you're in college being an idiot. And we had bottled beer on the beach and all these guys came over to our area and we were like handing out bottles of beer and there's signs everywhere that are like no bottles on the beach. I mean, they're everywhere. And so these cops come over in their little Miami shorts and they're like, whose beers are these? And no one would claim them. And I was toasty because I had had several of those beers. And so I'm like, I'm going to be the hero. I'm like, officer, those beers are mine. I brought them all. And the one officer was like, you brought all of these. And I was like, I did. I go, nobody else is stepping up. And he goes, I'm excusing what should be a ticket because you were honest. And he's like, but I also know those weren't all your beers. And I was like, I just went like this and he was like, today's your lucky day. And I was like, sometimes honesty because cops and lawyers get lied to all the time (laughs) that sometimes honesty will get you out of shit. Like God, thank you to that officer for not ticketing me and ruining my spring break. Yes. But yeah, I mean, and sometimes you feel bad for honest people because they're being honest, but then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. They don't give a shit. Yeah. That's also true. Okay. Um, so what was your least or what has been your least favorite of any of those 10 jobs? I mean, the door to door really, I did not care. for. It It had to be for me. It was like hell. Yeah. No, thanks. And then, of course, it, you know, you were, I was very young. I was like, what, 20 probably. And, you know, it's a good job if you're like partying and you do get to hang out with a lot of fun people. And we did party a lot because you did work from like, mm, I don't know, four to nine. Damn. And then you would party. Yeah. So the hours weren't bad, but I'm just mean, I made no money. I, I just wasn't good at it. I just wasn't. So that I think, and that's the one that if I think, 
think about it, I get a little tense, like, or some days, if days are really bad, I think, well, at least I don't have that job. Like, you know, (laughs) it's so I've interviewed 6,000 people and no one has ever said that's so wise of retrospectively looking at back and being like, oh, you know, this, this job is not as bad as X. I've never heard anyone say that. And that's such a healthy perspective. So good job, you. Like once in a while or like, uh, oh, I don't, I'm not middle school today. That's good. You know, (laughs) I'm not getting shoved into a locker. (laughs) Yeah. I make bizarre pep talks to myself, you know, um, I mean, some days you gotta, you gotta have it. I mean, my, my other little, little tidbit is, you know, everyone now is like, everything's on a, you know, a phrase and it's like, oh, you can't quit. You just got to keep. And it's like, A, sometimes you're bad at something and you can quit. And B, quitting's always an option. Always. Keep it open. It, sometimes it just will get you through Tuesday thinking you can quit. Yes. Like, just everybody calm down about, like, you can't quit. Sure, you can quit. Yes, you can. Quit. The number of times I stomped through so many customer service jobs being like, today's it, that's it, light this building on fire, I don't give a fuck, I'm quitting. That kept me employed having having my tantrums you You show up go back you do (laughs) it's fine but you know sometimes it's a motive you know it's like i can quit you know yeah it's it's empowering you've quit jobs yes yes many yeah yeah. i mean that's empowering too (laughs) yeah it is yeah i mean i've been fired too from jobs which is separately something but um (laughs) I mean, I could do a whole thing on how to get fired, how to be unemployed. I'm very good at that, too. But, you know. <laughs> What's the best way to get fired? Give us a tip. Uh, well, I got fired. Like, I was working in a law firm, and I came in with another woman, and she started having an affair with the main lawyer. They started living together, and she and I was married and couldn't care less. But, I mean, I could care less because it was affecting my job, but then she didn't like me, so I was fired. Ma'am, wait. She so she got you fired because you found out that they were stopping. Well, no, the the girlfriend who was a lawyer. I'll put it in quotes. <laughs> not much of a lawyer, but she just didn't like me sort of around, and so that was why I was fired. So that was, and I was fired. That was down by Wall Street. So like, you know those movies where you get your box. No, and- Liz. No, is that what happened to you? Yeah, and then um the. Like, I think the guy was, um, like, window cleaning, and he had seen this scene before, I think, but he was, like, so sweet. He's like, do you want me to get you a cat? Because I was, like, bawling. I had my box. And then it happened again. I moved, so I, then I, start, I moved up a couple of blocks to a different job, and I got fired because I can't even get into why I was fired at that job. And But I ended up, like, three years later, like, sort of on the same street with the same box, so I don't work up down on Wall Street ever. No, it's that. bad juju for you. Yeah, with the box and they walk you out. Have you ever had that? Oh it's my god, upsetting, very upsetting. Why do they do that? Is it just because they think you're going to make a scene? Like, what is the what's the like having security walk you out bullshit? I think the theory is you won't go berserk. You won't take anything. You won't come back and look. I don't know. But then the same little. I mean, not the same window washer, but. I think they see it all the time. They must. I mean, the turnover there is wild. I mean, especially after 2008, like you think that they would be, wow. Um, They're like, oh, another person with a box at 10 a.m. just crying. Yeah. Did yeah. did they do that yeah. thing where they waited till Friday? Because I've always heard the blow is is less aggressive if you do it on Friday, so that they can go into their weekend. Or were you fired on like a Tuesday? As I recall, it was both early in the week. That's shitty. Yeah. That's shitty. Yeah. So then you're gonna watch daytime TV and feel like shit about yourself. Like I shouldn't be watching Oprah. I'm. I should be at work. I think I went to my friend's house and laid on the floor for one of them. Man, I wish yeah. you could so get into was- it, but I don't want you to get. I don't want you to get quagmired into whatever as to why you got fired from the second one. Oh, it was a complicated thing, and it was just all like, "Are you kidding me?" But then we once I got a lawyer. My friend was a lawyer and he, we went in and got all the rest of my stuff. We had a meeting and we we're like, okay, now we're getting all the rest of my stuff and whatever. 
it's very dramatic. Yeah. I mean, that's tiresome. I haven't had that in a long time, which I'm just as happy about. I mean, that's a nice thing with comedy. If you have a really bad experience, you don't have to do it again. And you just you're just like, okay, well, I know your deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thousand percent. I always say, too, it's like, be careful if you keep comics in your circle, because if you say something dumb or you hurt them or you do something shitty, they're probably going to say it in a room full of people and they're going to talk about it. And they're probably going to use your real name because they don't give a shit about it. And you have to just, yeah. you got to tread a little bit lightly with comics because it's like, yeah, watch them blow up over the, the story about you. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think I could have been a comedian at like 25. I think, I, I don't, I don't know what I would have said even. And then also, I, I don't think I would have been able to handle it. So in some ways, at the age that I did start, I sort of was like, you know, I don't really care. Like, not always. Let me tell you, there were plenty of times I came home crying and was like going to quit and whatever. But some of it kind of rolls off me. It doesn't, I'm impervious to it now. Well, you have to be, I mean, once you've had your shit walked out in a box and be so embarrassed that a window washer has to make sure you're okay, you can bomb in front of 50 people. It's like, I don't don't, care. It's like, you're going to, oh, this, this like 60 year old, like husband is just going to stare at me for 45 minutes and not think I'm funny. Okay. Go another hour, buddy. I don't care. You know, you can stare at me for... (laughs) 50 more minutes. Yeah. Also the, the uh, first three years yeah. of comedy, you're just eating shit constantly. Even if you're doing five mics a night, all you're doing is eating shit. If you get a singular chuckle, you're like, well, this three years wasn't a waste, but you're going to, it's going to be a yeah. long road to get that chuckle. I also think like, uh, I always love to crack up comedians in the back when the audience isn't laughing. That's my favorite, which really won't get you famous, but I, I just <laughs> Who enjoy cares? it. Yeah. You know, if the comedians are in the back cracking up. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Oh, God. I mean, working at Captain D's where they're like, okay, wash the toilet and then, you know, make the strawberry shortcake kind of turn my stomach. That was really rough. That makes me sick. Yeah. Hygienic wise. Yes. I was I don't even want to pull at that thread because that's actually making me nauseous. So I'm going to power through that. Making me nauseous. Was there ever a job that you quit in in any any capacity that was like dramatic? Have you ever quit a job? And if you did, was it dramatic or was there ever or was it just you just quit politely, gave your two weeks and called it? I don't remember quitting in in a very dramatic fashion. I mean, there was one time this is a whole but I worked for this um, nonprofit in dc the national tv turnoff week which now i think is something else it's like where you turn off all your uh it's done in schools and libraries and towns where you turn off at the time you just turned off tv because that's what we had so now i think they add all the devices and whatever and the guy was like this was in dc and he was um a rich guy and i had nothing and we worked out of this one room trying to build this like movement. And of course I was watching TV, whatever he didn't, but he was rich. So he would like go home to Georgetown and like kayak for the night and whatever. So I didn't, but so, but part of my job was to do input all the computer, the, the, uh, the network, the contacts, which took like, you know, if anybody has like a list of contacts, it takes a long time. And one day he just had his like buddy come and he like erased the whole thing because there was a problem. And I went in and I was like, what did you just do? And this woman who had, this was back when Clinton was like president, or I think it was Clinton. She had done like work with the Clintons and she was in between jobs. So he had convinced her to come do this. Like we like freaked out and I was wandering the streets and she was like eating a Snickers bar and like, and she says to me, if you stay one extra minute after work rebuilding this database, I will lose all respect for you. Do not, you know, you can do it during, you know, he's the one that screwed up and it really taught me a lot. I was like, you know what? You're right because this man is an idiot. So that was the closest, I think, in any dramatic fashion. I like the Snickers bar lady. I really appreciate that she was like, here's how you're going to, it's like, that's a, that's girl code. Like I'm going to let you know what you're not about to do. Yeah. That's lovely. I thought she was cool anyway. I was like, Oh, this, this woman's cool. And she just came on as sort of as a consultant and it just taught me a lot. I'm like, all right, I get it. You know? Okay. Have you ever told a customer to fuck off or like been aggressive with a customer? You don't strike me as someone who would ever do that, but have you ever done that? Oh, Maybe. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I, no, not as a customer. Um, I try to be respectful, but 
you know, if you really don't get me angry, because I'll rip into you like a monkey on a cupcake. I'm you angry. don't say monkey on a cupcake is a great phrase I've never heard. Um, you really like you would you can you can let somebody know about themselves. Oh yeah, something fierce. <laughs> Like and monkey on a cupcake is not an original. It's from like I think Ray Romano says it. I'm giving you credit. I don't care about Ray. I I really like that phrase. It's quite descriptive. Yeah. So have you ever done that in a work setting where you've let somebody know about themselves? I think when I was being fired from the law firm with the woman, I just was like, "What the hell is this?" Uh, Yeah. A lot of times you gotta keep it down because also it's even like in comedy. You know, you don't know where someone is going to go. Yeah. And now it seems like no one, you think, oh, that person's gone from comedy. And then they become the booker of the whatever. And you're like, mm, okay, great. Shit. <laughs> I pissed them off early on. But that is the currency, though. I find that's true in entertainment across all mediums is that it's like, well, you got to tread lightly because you don't know about so-and-so. And it's like, that is also, and I'm not blaming, I do the exact same thing. It's just, it's yeah. also how the Harvey Weinsteins of the world get where they get because all of us are like, well, you know, you don't know. And then at that point, he had power. So it's like, especially in comedy, you just don't know. And so it's like, it's why Louis C.K. got away with his non- nonsense for as long as he did or like any of the ones any of the comics who we're coming for now that were like you did that for how long how did no one say anything and it's like because it's a it's an industry that the fear is a currency so you have to be so careful because you don't know where someone's gonna end up yeah and i digress but that's like when meryl streep was like oh i didn't know what harvey was doing i'm like shut up you did yes she did shut it you know it's like okay we all get that like we all have to suck it up sometimes and we can't all do you know but I'm like, Meryl, you did know. You did know, every, yeah. I mean, if I know, and I'm not even anywhere remotely involved. This was, that was my exact argument. I'm like, I knew about this when I lived in Ohio, and that was 100 yeah, years I, ago. I mean, like, come on, ma'am. You're like, ma'am. Okay, come on. Yeah. yeah. Do you tip? Oh, yes. As my, I forget who in my family said, like, if on my tombstone it reads, I over-tipped, like, that's not going to be... Aww. you know, a bad thing. Like I try to over tip as much as possible. And, what? and even when I tip like sort of just appropriately, uh, I always feel like a little guilty, like, you know, like if it's, you know, yeah, you got to tip and people really don't tip. It's really, especially outside New York, people do not tip, which I think is more cultural than just trying to be rude. But like, New York, it's like, a, what was that Steve Martin movie where he's like, I tip everybody. Like, you know, you just tip everybody. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That is very much unique to New York. I feel like in L.A., we're way more like you're going to earn it. And as soon as you don't do X, we're docking a dollar like that kind of punitive shit happens out here a lot where you're like, all right, man, but like, we're still all trying to pay our rent. Yeah, that happened to me when I worked at a comedy club, we would have sections that were 150 people and you are going to have slow service. You just are. That's too many people for a section like that's or 100. I'm being dramatic, not 150, 100, but it's too many people. Yeah. Yeah, And people would be like, I'd get notes on receipts that were like, you know, I would have tipped you, but you weren't fast enough. And it's like, boo, you're not the only one I'm taking care of here. Like, that's a very L.A. thing. I think maybe mm, twice or three times it's been so bad I haven't tipped. But that's like, I think more like twice in my whole life, which, you know, I get out and about. So like, <laughs> Yeah, you're not brand new. Like, yeah, I mean, I will, even when service is bad, I'm like, well, I'll still like to, you know, like 15, 20%, you know. <laughs> Every, it's so funny because you've not worked a paid position, but amongst those of us who have bartended or waited tables, we consider 15 to 20% like saying, fuck you. Like we consider that stiffing, which is so yeah. funny because it's like, we're not teaching you a lesson. We're still giving you money, but all of us are like, that yeah. would have been 30%, but you you had an attitude or whatever. It's so we yeah. do that. Yeah. And I feel like in New York, people too are like, if you go out with people and they're like skimpy on the tip, like it's noticed. Like, I feel like New Yorkers are much more culturally like we're looking for the bad tipper. We're like, are you a bad, you know, like we're conscious of that a lot more. Yeah, I know servers and bartenders can make six figures in Manhattan proper because people take care of you. Can you give me an example of the worst customer you interacted with? I once had a person, a person in um, the legal field who came in and he was crazy. You could just, just tell off the bat. So I was trying to be very like, you Gentle. know, I go into my like, I'm talking to a crazy person voice and da 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 That's another skill. 
and um, how to talk to crazy people. And he just was like, but then I was sort of like, you're not really listening. How would you like to proceed? And he said, I don't know. What are you on your period? And I was like, oh, hell no. And then what else did he say to me? He said he was just very rude. I just was like, I'm not doing this. Like I went out and said, I'm not hearing this case because it's not going to help him either if I'm like, you know, annoyed Mad. And also like sometimes it's true, like even in, in hearings where the fines are a lot, a lot, you know, some of the fines are really high, but some are not, you know, I mean, I don't underestimate ever like someone having to pay a hundred dollar fine. But again, it's not like some of these fines are like, oh, I don't know what, you know, your rent is going to be paid. A hundred dollars, you know, somebody could be, you could manage. It's not going to be life devastating, you know, that amount of money. And sometimes the lowest fines people give you like the hardest time and you're like, okay, I'm not diminishing what's happening here, but you have to put it in perspective a little bit and, you know, it will be okay. You know, it's like a $50 fine. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's annoying, but like you will be able to eat tonight. Can you do your crazy person voice to me? Could you talk to me like I'm a crazy person? Maybe you think I am. Oh, okay. Well, um, (laughs) I'm already annoyed. (laughs) I can already hear it. (laughs) I want to talk real, you got to talk real slow. Um, and go, okay, all right. Well, um, <laughs> oh, I can hear it. Of, you do a lot of mm-hmm-ing. <laughs> you just kind of be kind of calm. Uh, my husband also deals with quite a few personal. You know, we both deal with quite a lot of personalities. So you have to get used to being like, mm-hmm. oh, very calm. That's the scene. I'm sweating. Yeah, that's so real. Okay. Well, folks, we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. Okay, this is the nice section, Liz. This is where we tell the happy stories. What's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you're working? Or you could even say like maybe a crowd member or someone just what's like the nicest customer experience you've had? A lot of people are very nice at shows if they really had a good show. I mean, they're just very sweet people and, you know, they just make you feel like you've done something nice for them, which mm-hmm. is is always a good feeling. Yeah. Know? Or if someone even in the court was like, thanks for being so nice and like, explain things just to be acknowledged that like you've done something nice. Because that's, I try to be, you know. <laughs> that's really kind. Yeah, I think people don't yeah. realize that if you go up to, like, everybody thinks comics don't want to be bothered. But, you know, laughter is the best way to let comics know what's going on. But then to go up after and be like, hey, you were really funny. Like, that will carry a comic through two months of sadness. Oh, forever. <laughs> yeah. Forever. It was like, I remember after Donald Trump was, like, elected. And I used to have a bar show. And I had this bar show. And this guy didn't even you know, he just kind of wandered in at the back and then he's like, Oh, thank you so much. This is what I really, and it just like, was like, Oh, this is why we do it. You know, to like, just make people forget. And again, it's sort of like, like, that's what I'm saying about my comedy album. Like, it's not going to be an album about like, I don't know, some heady thing. It's just, just have a laugh. It's okay. Who is your favorite customer that you've ever interacted with or like the best customer experience that you can remember having? The best customer Gosh, I don't even really know. You know, I do appreciate if they're like sort of funny and succinct about stuff and like just move it along. That's my favorite type of customer. Someone who keeps it moving along, I feel like. Okay, I've not gotten that answer and sort of funny. So if I'm on like a hearing with you, if I just throw in a one liner, you can appreciate that or do you get annoyed? Oh, make a joke? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of them do not make a joke. I mean, sometimes... (laughs) The reps will make a joke. Like uh, my job has changed over the years. We used to have like more of a courtroom and now we're doing it because of um, Zoom, COVID, COVID yeah. Zooming and whatever. The first day I started this rep, uh, not an attorney, but they he does represent, showed up with an eye patch. And I was like, mm, this is not good. This is going to be a weird job. And uh, he just had some eye patch for some reason. I, I never knew why. Never I mean, explained it. Now. <laughs> Never really explained it. And I was like, mm, this is different. So that's, yeah. I want to go on stage with an eye patch once and just never address it and then exit and, and never, never wear it again. It. Just, it's so good. It's such a good bit. It's a distinct look. Yeah, yeah. it's a choice. What is one the best lesson that you have personally learned from working in any of these jobs? 
I think that, you know, you really do need to start with respect. And then if things don't really, I think most people try to be like a level of, okay, this is a transaction. But, um, you know, now I see people, I mean, they're so rude. I don't know how people deal with being so rude. And it really doesn't help the situation at all. Doesn't help the transaction of any kind, no. any of it. Doesn't get you what you want. No, no it doesn't get what, what yeah. you want. I mean, after a while, sometimes you have to be rude or, you know, two people aren't going to meld or whatever. Fine. But overall, like people are doing their best. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I would say. And then final question in this section, what is one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Be nice because they're trying their hardest. And if somebody isn't trying their hardest, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of go with the flow. I mean, it's nothing is, you know, life changing here that we're dealing with. You know, it's like if you get a drink or whatever. I mean, none of this is life or death. So just calm down about it. Calm down about it is calm should be tattooed somewhere. <laughs> calm down about it. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> like. yeah, exactly. And and I try to be very understanding. Like, you know, people are waiting. It's I get that this is a pain, but don't mm. like don't take it out on people about certain stuff. You know, I was on an airplane yesterday and I'm like, I don't know how these people do it. I really don't. The flight attendants, I mean, really. And but sometimes then you will get on a flight and some woman is just like some, you know, flight attendant is like yelling at you and you're like, well, this isn't helping the situation either. either yeah. <laughs> We're seeing both sides of it. Yeah. And yeah. Me, I mean, throwing me peanuts. That doesn't help either. So <laughs> everyone's responsibility, I feel like, Kate. Yes. It needs to be balanced. Pleasant. Yes. Be yes. pleasant. It is. It has to be, be balanced. Pleasant. Yeah. Yes. Until you can't. And then, you know. As my friend says, flip the bitch switch. But, you know, that doesn't have to happen all the time. It doesn't. The switch should be flipped rarely. I agree. Rarely. Rarely flip the bitch switch. Well, Liz, how can people find you? Where will your album be streaming? Are you going? Well, we, you answered the tour question, but what are your socials? Like, do you want people to find you? What's the deal? I'm at Liz Comedy on everywhere. On Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, and Facebook, you know, I got to get on this thread, Kate, or I, whatever it's called, the new one. We're going to talk offline about that because I've done some research and I'll just say, yeah. I don't know if you should sign up, but go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Do I have to show my boobs? Because that is a non-starter for me. But anyway, I'm kidding. But no, so Liz Comedy, I'm on all those and, you know, any tour schedules I can, uh, I will get together, but you, you can also find it on Apple and it comes out July 21st. Um, but if you follow me, then you'll be able to also follow the album and please buy it. I don't remember how much we're charging. <laughs> $75, but it's the best 75 you'll spend this year. So no, it's not that expensive, folks. It's, it's just a little laugh. Just have a little laugh with me. I love it. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. Wherever you listen, It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell directly, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from y'all. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks for being on, Liz. This was lovely. You understood the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody stream Liz's album. And oh, I now I should have the title down here with me. And I don't. Getting by. Getting by. Not, get, not getting. You have to drop the last G. Drop the last G. All right. Well, on that note, we're going we're gonna to get out of here. Thank you folks so much for listening. Good night. Good night.